1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. How many sources in our world do we know that are infallible and inerrant in, in the sense that when God spoke, he did not make error, he did not commit uh, errors, he did not commit sin, nor is there contradiction in his word. It is also uh, um, infallible in the sense that it is trustworthy to be believed. There is no other source in our world that is worthy of being believed 100% of the time, with the exception of the word of God. Therefore, let's hear God's word. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would commit it to our memory and to our hearts. We pray that you would help us to memorize, meditate over, digest inwardly, and to give thanks for the word of God, which is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a time of great acrimony and division, uh, hatred over political matters. Uh, Each side is convinced that the other is evil uh, and or is convinced of the idiocy of the other side. There is a lot of language used that uh, is unfitting, frankly, of Christians And to be honest, our civil leaders are just as vile. Uh, They are self-enriching. Few are genuine civil servants. Uh, Many of them are deeply corrupt. I've seen recent statistics that uh, a massive number of our elected officials have, in fact, uh, uh, declared bankruptcy and or are unable to obtain uh, a credit card because of their misuse of uh, finances, personal finances. Uh, a great, a vast majority are divorced. Uh, a vast majority have uh, have uh, have committed other various moral sins. Uh, we know of those who have had uh, sexual relationships uh, of varying kinds of in all different places. Never mind uh, our past presidents and sexual relationships, even in the White House. A few civil leaders are genuine. Most are self-enriching. A few are genuine civil servants. In other words, as they often love to proclaim, I have given 28 years of my life in civil service. Well, enriching yourself and benefiting from the ability of a lifelong pension, as well as the best health care in the, in, in, in the world, even better than that which is offered to those uh, who are citizens of the country whom you profess to serve. Well, the moral values of most of our elected leaders are not aligned oftentimes with our own. Even those who identify as Christians rarely express explicit faith. 
They distance themselves from perceived biases. How many times have we heard, I identify as a Christian, but my legislative activity and my interests are different, uh, will be different, and will be only in the interest of my constituents. Well, uh, I think that's a capitulation to our uh, to, 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 to pressure. Because the reality of the fact is that most of everyone else who does not identify as Christian, uh, they are legislating what ultimately they believe to be right. And Christians should not be restricted from doing the same. And in fact, oftentimes that's why they are elected in the first place. Well, the fact of the matter is as soon as a Christian or a Christian company or a Christian individual or a Christian business speaks up or takes a position in the public sphere, they are immediately in trouble. Uh, if, if you do that and you're not a Christian, you're, you're celebrated. If you're a Christian, uh, it's quite the opposite. <clears throat> there are even those who, after the school shooting recently, and, and two weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, came out and blamed the school shooting on society in general, who blamed it even on the church itself and the Christian beliefs it's, it espouses. Uh, and or the parents who would send their children to a Christian school, a sequestered school. Well, there are significant differences between political parties, and there are moral matters often involved. Uh, Some of us uh, vote in such a way that we will not vote for a politician who believes that abortion should be free, unhindered, uh, and free upon demand in, in our society. Now that, my friends, is a moral issue. Abortion is, and there are many others that are moral issues. What is your attitude towards the poor? What does the Bible tell you about caring for the poor? What does the Bible say about the enrichment of others at the expense of or usury for those who are poor? What, is, what biblical principle, principles can we come to with regard to the support of various despotic governments and agencies throughout the world? What about the misuse of funds? What about deficit spending? These are all questions that, frankly, we should all think about, should have a perspective on as Christians, and should vote accordingly. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I'm simply telling you that you ought to open your Bible and consider what you believe and come to a conclusion. And then vote accordingly. But most assert and most assuredly to vote. We have an obligation before our, our country, and we'll see some of those things in just a moment. But as Christians, in such an acrimonious world that hates one another, in such a world where there are riots and burnings of police stations, where bottled water is thrown at, and rocks at police who are arresting an individual for the safety of the community in New York City, something I saw recently that blew my mind, how are we to live? How are we to carry out our obligation to glorify God, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what Philippians chapter 1 says. We are obligated to glorify God and we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So how can we do that when we live in the society in which we live? How can we do that as we engage with our culture? Because we are engaging with our culture by buying a home and by driving our cars and submitting to the laws on the street and the speed limit signs. 
when we eat at a local restaurant, when we raise our children, when we care for one another, when we visit each other in our homes, we are engaged in, we are immersed in our culture. When we vote, we are immersed in our culture. We have a Christian culture, but we also have a a worldly culture, a culture in which we live in the world, a secular culture as well. So how ought we to live in this world in which we find ourselves today? Well, there is, I think, provided in this passage this morning a, a threefold description of the social and political life of the believer. That's another aspect to our living in, in this world and in, in the culture in which we find ourselves. Social influencers seem to have the, the highest level of influence in our culture today. If you watch someone and the way that they dress, the way that they speak, the things that they do, the pranks that they, uh, that they, that they carry out, all of these things seem to be to hold a far greater influence in our culture than even our politicians, perhaps. Well, it depends on one's perspective, but social and political life is dominating. Social and political influence influences are dominating our cultural language and our, our cultural milieu, if we would call it that. Well, the first thing that we see is that this text provides for us an approach, an approach to take, an approach of subjection to take. Immediately, the Apostle Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. The word is subject yourselves, submit yourselves. Now, I know submission is not an easy thing. None of us likes to submit. Uh, Very few of us like to say to one another, whatever you think. Uh, Just just have a campaign to repaint a sanctuary and then have a committee of, of an even number of people. And then say, you decide on the color. And I I think here in this church, uh, all of you would would certainly be different than any other church in the land. But in any other church, you'll see there's a lot of disagreement. One will like one particular color or cool colors. Others will want warm colors. And while we're at it, we need to change those hideous drapes. And and then someone will say, well, my grandmother made those those drapes and, and now... Uh, there's acrimony even in the subcommittee of the subcommittee of the subcommittee. You, you get the point. Um, but submission is not an easy thing. But how, how about sitting in on a committee, contributing to a cause and to a work of ministry and saying, you know, I don't really have an agenda here and I'll support whatever the will of the committee is. I want to contribute some some understanding, some some of my own, some of my own perhaps uh, Wisdom about what we need, but at the same time, I'm willing to submit to to the decision of the brethren, because I can entrust myself to you, my, myself to you. We can entrust ourselves, and we can entrust trust one another. Well, the context of this idea of submission comes to us in light of chapter 12, 2, verse 12. And there, the Apostle Peter said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. How in the world will the world ever have a chance to see Christ if if the church doesn't in some way engage with our world? And our obligation as Christians is to display Jesus Christ in our conduct, in our good deeds, in our way of life, in the way that we speak, in the words that come out of our mouth. Here is a general principle to stop swearing, to stop being selfish, 
to not to not get use loose and foolish jokes around the water cooler with our coworkers, to watch carefully over our conduct, and to treat spouses, friends, children well and with respect. Always. Well, Peter has said this is the command keep your behavior behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Because in that church, at that time, in Peter's day, they were accusing the church of being cannibalistic because they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They celebrated the Supper of the Lord. And the words of institution are, this is my body which is broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In light of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and following, those things are foolishness to the ungodly. And so they would look upon the Lord's Supper and say, they're they're cannibalizing their Savior, they say. They're mystically turning these elements into the body and blood of one person named Jesus Christ, and they're cannibalistically feeding upon him. That's what they said. It's, It's found in the literature of that time. They accused them of being cannibals. They also accused them of being orgiistic in the sense that we, we, they talk about love feasts, gathering together over the Lord's Supper, eating supper together in mutual affection and love. Not a worldly love, but a godly agape love. And so they accused them of, of all sorts of hideous things of which they were not guilty. So in the Romans' mindset, they were, they, were, they were profligate beyond any description and sexual beyond any description ever provided, ever used amongst the Romans themselves. And they were loose and they were horrible, horrible sexually. They were guilty before God of horrible offenses against his law and of morality. But also they were guilty of cannibalism, of eating heinous things. Are they not? Heinous things. And yet they accuse them of these things. And so Peter is saying, in light of these accusations, you need to let them see your good deeds. They will observe them, and the result will be that they will glorify God in the day of visitation, whatever that day may be. When God visits them in their heart, through the Spirit of God, and brings new life. And perhaps the implication here is that as you do things in the service of God in our society and you do them under the glory of God, worldly folk will see and they will be converted because they will see you're different. They will see the Lord reflected in your priorities. Isn't that something that Christian husbands and wives whose whose spouses are not believers should, should, should really excel in? such that in all the complexity of of life lived in the home, your spouse would see your godly behavior, your love, your unselfishness, your willingness. Even uh, Paul writes to the church and talks about the fact that they're suing one another. And he says, "It's would, would you not rather be defrauded? In other words, let go of your personal rights for the sake of unity, Amongst the body of Christ. Well, surely isn't that the same principle for for Christian spouses who are willing to say, I'm willing to forgive. And more than that, I'm going to ask for forgiveness when I sin against you. I'm going to show you how I submit to the Lord 
by, 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 by being committed to a Christian love for my unbelieving spouse, shouldn't they see your commitment to the Lord such that each day you begin with God, you pray, you're quick to pray, you're quick to open the word, you're quick to submit to the Lord in, the, in your conduct and behavior. And will that not be a lasting testimony to your children that will, that will, that will extend even before your, longer than your time on this earth? The truth is that you're heaping coals on the head of your spouse by showing them what godly conduct is and what it means to be a Christian. And you're pushing, you're pressing them to look at, to behold, to be confronted with Jesus Christ by your good deeds and your conduct. Well, Paul Peter is writing to the to his audience and he is saying uh, that they must do this very thing, that they they must glorify uh, that they must glorify God in their behavior and let their behavior be excellent among the Gentiles. And these are Gentile people. And so he's saying amongst your own people and your other cultural contexts, make sure that your life is godly. Now, I think he's going to answer the questions in the following sections as to, all the way through chapter three of what it means to be or to live a godly life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. He's going to answer our questions. Well, how, how ought my behavior to be excellent amongst ungodly and, and, and worldly people? He's answering that very question right now with relation to uh, our citizenship as Christian people in a country in which we live that is not necessarily a Christian com- country. It was no better in Peter's world. Nero was, in fact, their, their Caesar, and Pilate was a governor, and, and there were filthy politicians and self-enriching tax collector collectors. Herod himself, who had taken his brother's wife as his own. There was corruption at every point of government. Taxation was ridiculous. All those who, were, who had bought their way into a lucrative tax, uh, a tax uh, 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 territory, they would abuse the collection of taxes and enrich themselves. This was a vile and corrupt world. And Peter is saying, submit yourselves to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. And this is the nature of living as a Christian in the world. Nothing around us changes when we are converted. You realize that? Nothing around us changes at all. But we are immensely transformed. All of a sudden, we have a new direction in life, new set of priorities, a, a new Lord to serve and, and, and to fear, and, and a new direction for the, the, the course of our lives. Our lives change dramatically. Our Christian calling changes, and, and, and it comes to us of not creating cultural change, but, but of gospel witness, of winning souls, of glorifying God and our Savior Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. Maybe that's what's wrong with the contemporary church today. The church is all about missional work and transforming culture when really our calling is to live a godly life. To glorify God in the course of holiness. To make certain that we keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that they may come to glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, what about revolution? What, what about the, 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 
What about the immorality of the world in which they live and the government that, 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 that dominates their lives? Surely the Roman Empire was in need of being overthrown according to Christian conscience. And the Bible commands overthrow, doesn't it? It does so through obedience and subjection and humility and godly deeds done in the name of Jesus Christ that glorify Him. There have been moments in the Bible when godly rebellion was commanded. And and I'll make certain that you, you need to make certain that you understand why and when. You might say, well, if, if a government is unjust, surely Christians have a right, have an obligation uh, to resist. Well, where do we observe in Scripture where Christians rebel against their governments? There are various times in Old Testament Israel when the shepherds and the kings were vile. God would tell all of his people, rebel and don't pay your taxes. No, God would raise up an individual who would judge as a representative of God, bring the word of God who is commanded by God to use the sword. What do we see Jesus doing in the New Testament? What we see Jesus doing is saying to those who were zealots, who did not want to pay the temple tax, who did not want to pay the tax that they felt was unrighteous, it was wrong, it was oppressive, it was something imposed beyond God's word and the Old Testament law. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Now make no mistake, Jesus is saying that about the very Caesar of his own day. He's not saying Caesar is godly. He's not saying serve Caesar and not God. He's not saying that. He's saying serve Caesar, what is Caesar's, but make certain that you serve God and what is God's. The truth of the matter is the only time when a believer can and and must revolt against our government and against authorities in our world is when we are commanded to do something that contradicts the word of God. When we are commanded to disobey the Lord, to engage in something or to support something even that is in contradiction to the word of God. How can a Christian react to the reality that our tax dollars are used for abortion? How can a Christian react to the fact that our tax dollars are used for all manner of ungodly and wicked things? I'd urge you that's a matter for us to carefully consider, but it's also a matter for us to bring to God in prayer, not simply to revolt over, but to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what does your word command me to do? And and in my and, and making my decision, am I only thinking of my own pocketbook, my own my own priorities, or am I really thinking about the Word of God? Am I submitting to God and His Word? And in, is 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 the core reason for why I am doing the things I'm doing, for my own enrichment or my own complaint against injustices, or am I doing it for the glory of God? Remember what we are told here in this passage. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing 
in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so the first thing that we ought to do is submit ourselves to the Lord and to every human institution, which is the language of this text. Submission isn't easy, but motivations are given to us. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For the Lord's sake. Further, this is the will of God. For the governors are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, but that by doing right... You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. There's a third motivation. Christian submission is the life of a servant of God. Maybe we need to remember that. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Bond slaves of God. How many of our conscientious objections as a result of our own our own priorities in comparison to what Jesus says here through his apostle Peter that we are bond slaves of God and therefore as bond slaves of God we will therefore do this or that and I think that's something that we ought to make certain that we are doing that when we consider our actions, our civil disobedience, our conscientious objections, our complaints, our murmurings against our governments, we need to ask this. Am I doing this as a bond slave of God? Is my purpose in order that, that, that the ungodly might observe my good deeds, observe them and glorify God in the day of visitation? Or do I want to simply demonstrate my own prowess of knowledge reasoning ability, my wisdom, uh, our wisdom, our indignance over the way in which our world is living. Well, all of this is because we are to do it for the Lord's sake and because it is the will of God and this is the life of a servant of God. Now, maybe we need another text and we're not convinced by this text. Well, Romans chapter 13 has a great deal to say about ungodly governments. I'll just read just a a bit of the beginning of chapter 13. There's an emphasis from Paul here, uh, Peter in our own present day text. But Paul says this, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. This is an echo of the same text this morning from 1 Peter. For there is no authority, this is an important concept, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Regardless of the government on this earth, the authority that to which you are to submit, all of them are instituted by God. Whether as an instrument, as Peter outlines for us, for our good, for the restraining of evil, for the judgment of evil, for the commending of all that is good, or perhaps as an instrument of God's justice against an ungodly society. Certainly have we not observed that? When the people who lead us have been given to us perhaps because of God's judgment against our nation. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. 
For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. You will have praise for the same. For it, government, authority, is a minister of God to you for good. You see, this is the priority of Scripture as a whole. To what are we to submit every human institution? Now, there are some biblical examples of a refusal to submit, are there not? Moses' parents, when the Egyptian authorities said, bring your children to us, all children who are under two, they hid their little boy. Why did they do so? Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and conviction of the word, they were not to submit their children to be murdered. There are other instances as well. If you search within Scripture, there are other instances when they defied those who were government authorities. Didn't Peter do that when he, together with John, were commanded to no longer preach the gospel? What did Peter do? He preached the gospel. They were told to no longer speak. And what did they say? We cannot obey you. We must obey God. There are moments when we must obey God and refuse the commands of our wicked governments. But unless it contradicts the word of God, we ought to be very, very careful to make certain that what we are doing is in obedience to Scripture and for the glory of God and according to the will of God and for the Lord's sake. What are we to submit to? Well, every human institution. That means the local government, the federal government, the state government. That means even human, the the word is literally every human creation. If I go into a business, I ought to have a certain measure of decorum and not act up like a a moron or like a cut up and and break the rules because, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm free. Well, no, submit to every human institution. So if you go into a business and and they say that they want you to do something and, and it's reasonable, then do it. And it doesn't contradict the word of God, do it. Don't cut up and leave a huge mess and leave no tip and not support the workers that have just served you well. Do things right. Do things in a way that is pleasing to God. So that your behavior, which is excellent among the Gentiles, in the day of visitation, they might glorify God because they've observed the way that you have carried yourself. The second thing we see in the passage here this morning, and this is quicker and briefer than the, the last, is a priority for good to hold. We have seen first that there is a, an approach of subjection to take, but secondly, a priority for good to hold. If more of our conversation is about politics and more of our emotional and passionate defense and response to things or self-identifying principles is about government or human institutions, dear friend, there's an imbalance in our priorities. Let me ask you about your conversations at work or at home or with your brothers and sisters as you gather together with them. Are more of your conversations about the political direction of our country, about wokeness and about complaints about critical race theories and all sorts of other things, is that really what you talk about? It's okay to talk about those things. It's entirely okay. But is that all you talk about? Or do you talk about the Lord? 
Do you talk about the cause of Christ in the world? Do you talk about good news you've received from someone that that so and so that ten thousand believers have have believed in the last year in the in the in the country of Iran? In contradiction to the Shah, well, not Shah, but the uh, the Ayatollah and all those who serve with him. <clears throat> what a glorious thing! Shouldn't we rejoice? Shouldn't we say we need to have a special season of prayer to pray for those new believers? Let's gather together tonight and pray and lift them up before God. Or how about post-covenant school shooting? But we talk about the politics of it. What what came into our minds first when we heard about the school shooting? I'll I'll readily admit it. I thought about the various issues that, that here is a trans person who has just shot up a school. Surely there must have been something in her past she didn't like. Where are her parents? Where are the people with the guns in the school? There are lots and lots of questions that I, that I had, but 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 is there an increasing amount of response biblically and in a godly way to demonstrate a spirit of humility before God and of subjection to every human institution? Or are we fighting about our rights? It's okay to do that. It's okay to argue our positions. But the, the vast... The vast priority observed in our life ought to be one of service to Jesus Christ. Love for God, a desire to do things for the Lord. And so we ought to look at a school shooting like that and weep. We have to grieve. We have to pray consistently for all involved. And even for the family of the young woman who, in fact, perpetrated such an evil thing. To pray for their involvement in their church. Pray for those who are offended and angry and who who are uttering death threats to them. But most assuredly for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the church there. If all we really talk about is politics, if we really only get emotional and passionate about these things, then our, our priorities are out of whack, dear friends. We are to be, we are to have the priorities that the Lord has commanded and encouraged us to have. And so Peter says, For such is the will of God that by doing right or good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. As you serve the Lord in the world today, as you do things in a good way for the Lord for his sake, for the Lord's sake and, and not for your own, you will glorify God and you will in fact silence the ignorance of foolish men. I'm convinced that the excellence of my speech and my reasoning abilities can shut down the arguments of of any person who is opposed to me politically out there. Maybe that's your perspective, too. But God's word says, no, your good conduct is what will shut the mouths of foolish people. Not foolish people who adopt a certain political perspective. That's how we tend to look at it as political persons. But foolish people because they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. You will silence them by your embrace of what is good. It's an extraordinary statement that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And this itself is the will of God. Are our complaints about politics equal to or less than or greater than our zeal for the persecuted church or our personal Christian witness, our pursuit of holiness, our spiritual leadership, our instruction in our homes, our zeal for the glory of God. Peter has said, look, you're aliens, you're exiles, 
You're strangers. But he's also saying, that does not give you a license to live as you please. You are to live in such a way that shuts up the mouths of those who would denigrate the church of God by your good behavior. You will bring this about, not by your reasoning abilities. Paul says to various churches in various ways, I came to you not in strength of speech, but I came to you in weakness of flesh, weakness of speech, but God used my weakness to display the foolish or the wisdom of the gospel even through my foolishness of speech. We are not to give unbelievers an occasion for reproaching God or His Son or to denigrate the name of God because we confess with our lips that we follow Jesus Christ, but our lives are filled with standing on a soapbox, always correcting everyone politically, pointing out how wrong they are. And there's a place for that. I'm not rejecting that entirely. But let's have the biblical Let's have the biblical priority of glorifying God and doing what is for the Lord's sake, uh, submitting ourselves to human institutions, every human institution, honoring the king, honoring all people, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, acting as free men, not using our freedom as a covering for evil, but using it as bond slaves of God. There is a service to practice, thirdly and finally, a service to practice. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. A rapid staccato sort of statement from the Apostle Peter. And we may question, well, you know, what is the purpose of all of this? Are you telling me that we have to simply roll over and and uh, give up to everything. Well, no, not necessarily. If, if it contradicts the word of God, then we have to say, no, I will not do it. And be willing to accept the reality that our government will retaliate. Uh, people around us will retaliate. No, I will not use false pronouns that, do, that defy who God has made you to be. No, I will not embrace nor permit my tax dollars, nor support that, nor vote for the use of my tax dollars to be used for the heinous act of abortion. And I'll do whatever I can to elect people, and I will vote in such a way that I will work to elect people who will mirror that same priority. Submit yourselves to every human institution. Do it with grace, do it with kindness, do it with mercy, do it in Christian love. Do it with humility. Do it for the Lord's sake. But Christians, in the world in which you live, act like a Christian. Act like the Lord Jesus Christ. Display the Lord Jesus Christ in your conversation and in your activities. And make certain that you offer humble service and submission and subjection, powerfully serving the Lord. And in in, in the hope and in the faith that Believing that your humble service, your careful submission, your subjection to every human institution powerfully does serve the Lord and it does powerfully show his love and mercy. The subject of our text today is just simply one of gospel enterprise. And the goal is chapter four, verse two, which is a summary, I think, of where the Apostle Peter is taking us. So live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, 
but for the will of God. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Not living according to our lusts, but living according to the will of God. Living for the will of God. Maybe you have not lived your life in that way. Maybe you're guilty of living your life in such a way that you've, you've believed that you've, you've affirmed all the right causes, you've done all the right things, you've, you've corrected your opponents in theology, you've corrected all your opponents in, in politics, you're well-reasoned, you've got a sharp mind, you, you're like a steel trap waiting to get the next person, the next victim from around the corner who doesn't believe what they, who doesn't really understand the significance of what they believe. And you can show how foolish the other side is at any given moment. And God has given you that mind, and God will use such arguments in the right context. But do you know your first priority, your first calling, is to live for the glory of God? To love God, to submit to every human institution, to fear God, to submit to every human institution, to walk humbly before God, and to delight to delight in living for the Lord in the context of all that our lives and the many different layers of where we live and how we live and where we work and how we work and the relationship that we have and in the midst of all of that, that one thing should be true, and I hope it's true of all of us this morning, that we have a desire to do what is pleasing to the Lord. We want to obey and follow the Lord's will. That no matter what we do, we do it not for ourselves or our own self-enrichment or for the correction of all our opponents, but rather for the glory of God. I urge you this morning, God has created you for a purpose. God not create you for the purpose of pursuing your own lusts, pursuing your own desires, for pursuing a life that most pleases you. God has created you for the purpose of glorifying his glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. At any moment, even this very day, you may turn in faith to Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins and find life, life eternal, and a new and complete and different direction for your life because the Holy Spirit will come and live within your heart and give you a renewed and revived understanding of your purpose before God. Maybe you've confessed that your life lacks direction and you're really struggling. You don't know why you're here. Well, come and discover that through life, through faith in Jesus Christ. Commit your life to Christ and you will discover that God will reveal himself to you in a warm and winsome, glorious way such that you will now from this day forward understand your purpose and your place in this world. That is to receive life in Christ and to display that life in the glorifying God in every thought, in every word, in every deed for the rest of your days on this earth. And then you will depart and stand in the presence of God eternally, glorifying God, rejoicing in your God, experiencing all the pleasures at his right hand that are free and full for every believer in Christ Jesus including the forgiveness of sins. A righteousness that you and I cannot bring to effect than only Jesus and the offering of himself on the cross indeed can do. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to live carefully as citizens of heaven. We know that we are, we do not belong here. We are aliens and strangers. We are, we are not of this world. Help us, therefore, to live in such a way that displays that we are not submitting to every human institution, doing what ultimately pleases God, even at the expense of our own selves. That no matter what, at every turn, no matter who asks it, that in the end we will serve the interests of the Lord. We will do what pleases God. Lord, help us to do your will. Forgive us of our sins and often going our own way. Please help us to entrust ourselves to our faithful creator in doing good. We pray that you would help us to live as citizens of a world yet to come, not of this world, of whom this world is not worthy, but of the kingdom of God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.